0: Hello and welcome back to the Indie, a podcast from the Santa Barbara Independent giving you what's happening in Santa Barbara. I'm Molly McEnany, the host of The Indy, and I'm here this week with Nick Welsh, executive editor of The Independent, discussing his recent interview with LaWanda Lyons-Pruitt, head of the NAACP in Santa Barbara, Lompoc, and Santa Maria, as well as about the recent height versus housing debate that is affecting not only State Street, but could affect the greater Santa Barbara area from Lucumbre Plaza to Upper State to Milpa Street. So Nick, your recent interview with LaWanda Lyons-Pruitt, what led you to want to write this feature on LaWanda initially?
1: Well, initially, it just started off with uh, Black History Month. And, uh, you know, how do we tell that story? And, and whose story do we tell? And LaWanda Lyon uh, Pruitt is the head of the NAACP up in Rompoc uh, and San Maria. and had been, I believe, for 14 years. But before that, um, you know, she had been, I think, for 32 years, either investigator or chief investigator. With the public defender's office, which is a hellacious job. And um, I believe she is the first uh, African American woman to be the a chief investigator in the great state of California. And uh, I am told she has written kind of the textbook uh, for uh, investigators for public defenders. And, you know, Lawanda uh, Lyon Pruitt has a The history that really uh, encapsulates and embodies uh, so much. She was born in this town uh, in Mississippi called Boatito, which today has a population of less than 900 people. It's in a county called Neshoba County, and a lot of people may know about Neshoba County because it was one of the scariest scariest counties uh, in Mississippi for racial violence. Back in the 60s, it was where, in 1964, three <coughs> freedom riders, uh, Goodman, Cheney, and Schwimmer, were abducted, murdered, and their bodies buried in an earthen dam. Uh, and the search for their remains was the subject of a, you know, one of the most intensely uh, scrutinized manhunts in civil rights history. Ultimately, uh, I believe, uh, sheriffs, deputies uh, in the Shelby County were implicated in the abduction. So this is where she comes from. I and mean, as a little girl, you know, she went to a school, it was all black. Uh, when she went to a high school, 1970, it had only just been integrated, even though in 1954, the Supreme Court said, guess what? Dudes, separate but equal, does not work. Uh, and schools must be uh, desegregated. But they held out. And uh, she told a story about how black kids start with themselves, white kids start with themselves. Uh, but it was a little tricky because that way it came to this cool prom. Because then all of a sudden you have, oh my god, we could have people of mixed races on the dance floor together, and who knows what would happen after that. So the uh, powers would be finessed the whole issue by saying there'll be no dance. they had a school problem without a dance
0: so after growing up in mississippi what eventually led her to want to move out to california and to the santa barbara area
1: she moves out here um in 1972-73 by out here i mean uh the city of santa maria uh where her aunt and uncle lives he'd always wanted to be an fbi agent but at that time they weren't really taking women she wound up Long story short, as an investigator with the uh, public defender's office, and I can easily imagine why she would be very good. She didn't just works hard, but she has a presence about her. She's so easy to be with. There's a gravitational pull, and you just want to talk with her. And I would imagine a lot of people who wouldn't want to talk with somebody else would just well, i to tell LaWanda. So she just has that way about her. And the story marks because obviously Black History Month has come and gone and we did not write that article yet.
0: So Lawanda's clearly had years of involvement in community work and social justice. What has her role been as a leader now, reaching out to communities of color and different equity groups about the COVID vaccine?
1: She is part of uh, a task force that's been mobilized to reach out to communities of color, particularly up in North County, to say, hey, the vaccine is out there and you need to come to the table and you need to eat, you know? We need you to get vaccinated. And the fear was, and for good reason, that people of color were going to be more resistant and reluctant and hesitant and all those other words that people use. And at the time this whole effort started, I may have mentioned there was a survey in the state of California done that showed 55% Black people in the state of California were saying they were either definitely not or probably not going to get vaccinated. That was in January. Now it's March. That number is now down to about 27. So clearly something has happened. I and mean, you can't obviously say Rwanda made that happen because that's statewide, but you know, efforts by people like hers have definitely been paid off. It's also of interest kind of ironic and perverse, you might say, uh, that the most reluctant, the most resistant are Republicans. Uh, Statewide, 39% of Republicans said, ain't no way or probably won't get vaccinated. Democrats, by contrast, are somewhere in the 10% range. So I don't think we're going to have trusted messengers reaching out to the Republicans the way we did to people of color. And the reason for that is that, uh, you know, people of color, obviously, if you look at the Santa Barbara statistics, I think it's like 15,000 people that have been uh, infected with COVID are Hispanics or people of color, whereas 5,000 are uh, white. And when you look at who's getting hospitalized and who's getting put in the ICU and who's dying, in far disproportionate numbers, A, they're up in North County, and B, they're people of color. So um, we probably, we might let the, the Republicans and the evangelicals, you know, deal with uh, their own reluctance in their own way. But maybe not. Maybe we should reach out. And you know what I'm told? I was talking to Steve Labanino, who is a former Republican who uh, represents San Maria. And he said, you know, Uh, He knows Rwanda from pretty much his entire public life. He said, you know, she is a trusted messenger, but she is a trusted messenger not just for the Black community or the Hispanic community, but really pretty much all of Santa Maria. She has a profile up there and a level of trust that people take her serious uh, no matter who she's talking to.
0: Well, Lawanda's background certainly is impressive and her efforts at reaching out to communities of color to get the vaccine and equalize this imbalance is commendable, her work and personality certainly have elevated her to this position as a leader and someone who many people in Santa Barbara look up to and look to for support. So, you also wrote another piece entitled, Is the Santa Barbara Skyline Going Sky High? And this is the height versus housing debate going on in Santa Barbara right now. You talk about how, at the recent Santa Barbara City Council meeting, there were proposed rules intended to get more developers to build rental housing, not only on State Street, but all around Santa Barbara. What are the economic trade offs that would arise in drafting a new urban planning policy that will generate more affordable housing?
1: Right. Well, You know, the simplified version is, do we get more housing? Rental housing, that's what we want. I mean, housing is housing, but what we really need is more rental. And what we really need more than anything is more what they call affordable rental, not Chapel A, which is a subsidized, but sort of affordable by design. or you, You make the units sufficiently small that the rents are going to be low. And Santa Barbara has been struggling with this for eons, but the issue has kind of taken on um a new urgency, especially since COVID, but even before, you know, people have been looking at downtown's uh Santa Barbara State Street, and they've just been like, my God, what's happening? It's so like dying, you know, there's all these you know empty storefronts and, and it doesn't have life, like, you know, everybody wants to go to the funk zone, nobody wants to go downtown. I mean. It's a bit overstated, our sort of doom and gloomism about State Street, but you know the economic malaise is very real and very uh, damaging. And so, one of the ideas people have thought is, I know, let's have people live downtown. Oh, I mean, let's have people living on State Street, which is kind of a novel idea. Uh, State Street is not really zoned for that, and so the idea is let's have people live there. So. It will have more life. It will have more more money. Then the other argument was, well, we need housing, you know, for work, people who actually live and work here. You know, the teachers, the nurses, the people who actually serve a function but can't really afford to live here. So it was all sort of bobbed together in one big package, you know. And so they're going to come up with another way to give incentives to developers to build more units on State Street, and housing on State Street, not just State Street downtown, but up by the Zumba Plaza. And there's some also over by um, Milka Street. And the idea is, how much of an incentive do you have to give to build rental housing on some of the most real expensive real estate in, uh, in the planet? And uh, how many incentives and inducements are enough to overcome that great cost of land? And turns out it's a lot, and we don't really know at this point how much of an inducement they have to have. But that was the debate at the council on this past Tuesday, and you know it's very clear that the skyline is going to go way up compared to what it is now, if these inducements are passed and if developers take uh, them up and try to you know, take advantage of them. And right now, just to put in perspective, our height limit on State Street is 48 feet. Under certain circumstances, it should go up to 60 feet, but that's it. It's written into the 11th commandment that Uh, there will be no housing in downtown Santa Barbara above 60 feet unless the city charter is amended. And that would require a vote of the people. So 60 is the absolute. Um, What some council members were talking about was a bump in the allowable footprint of of an individual property or individual properties uh, that would really push the envelope pretty much close to 60, um, and certainly would exceed 48. And this is where it gets very uh, technical and mind boggling and boring. Uh, They are going to adopt this new approach called the floor area ratio, as opposed to the old approach, which was called average unit density. And so that is the FAR acronym versus the AUD acronym, but translated uh, right now, Developers worry about how many units can we get on a piece of, a given piece of land. And in the new system, it would be we don't care how many units you do, we want you to do as many as you possibly can. But what we want to do is maximize your ability to use the property. Now, it has not been adopted. Uh, this is part of an ongoing existential. So, to, to use that overused word, uh, a debate that Santa Barberans have been having with themselves for about 30 years. Uh, how do we make State Street lively and how do we have people living there and not just make it some horrified tourist trap? So this is one of the ideas everybody thinks it's worth pursuing on the council. But the issue is how hard, how fast, how high and how heedless. And it just seemed like, uh, in, in the context of the discussion, it began to kind of feel like, uh, can I get three, can I get three? How about three and, a half, three and a half? No, no, how about four? And it was like, nobody really knows what a three is as opposed to a four. And they, they're gonna hire some economists to come and give us some numbers that will allow us to safely know something. But the reality is we don't really know. And it's all brand new. But as the night throws, goes on and people get tired and, and you wanna you wanna show your values and you wanna beat your chest, perhaps. There was a real tug of war there between factions on the council who said, no, we really need to protect our skyline um, versus people said, no, you know, the, the housing market is so desperate and it's so urgently needed. We can't be squeamish. We can't be meek. We can't be mild. We've got to go hard, like the apples and oranges. But I called up a real estate guy I know who's been selling real estate longer than I've been reporting news. And and I asked him, I said, so how many houses you can buy on the South Coast? How many are listed right now for less than a million dollars? How many? His answer. On the entire south coast, there are five, five single-family homes less than a million bucks. And they've been on the market for, what, two weeks or less. That just shows you the housing market is absolutely, stratospherically insane. In my neighborhood, a house was on the market for $960,000, and it sold for $1.3 million. And it was a fixture upper The things are just insane. So imagine you're a young family, you're a professional, you've got a master's degree. You're entitled to have your own white fisset fence. God said you will have a white fisset fence. Guess what? Not in Santa Barbara, you don't. And if you are a you know, working family and, and you don't have a master's degree, uh, the water level is like it used to be at your nose. Now it's like way over your head. So there is a desperation. The flip side, we have a, a Santa Barbara that has a look and a feel that has been the subject of a hundred years of sustained civic focused argument. It's a struggle. It didn't just happen. Uh, and it, a lot of political will has been exerted to make it happen, a lot of creativity. And, uh, at the, in the meeting, you know, Sheila Lodge, who was a you know, former mayor who's now on the planning commission, you know, she, she kind of put it in really good context. She says, "Guys, the limit. Everybody thinks that's great, but let's just look at what we have now. So she took a walk from the waterfront up State Street to Victoria and she counted the number of buildings that were more than two stories high. Then there are 12. There are 12 buildings, and that's 12 blocks. So imagine being able to build four stories, imagine that area, it's going to be quite cavernous. Is that what we really want and how do we get there? And so that was kind of how the, the debate went on Tuesday.
0: Well, you've been watching these city council debates for years and have been covering them for The Independent as well. What have you witnessed over the years about this debate? I mean, how polarizing has this topic been for the council? Who has been the most aggressive as of late in pushing affordable housing development?
1: Well, the debate has sort of shifted. It used to be the developers were the ones that would come out and say, get out of my way. We need to be able to build. We have property rights, the Constitution. Um, We're not living in a communist dictatorship. You know, the People's Republic of Santa Barbara, all that kind of stuff. Then there was kind of a shift and it became smart gross. And so there was a, a an embrace by young people, younger people who were frustrated by the lack of housing opportunity, saying, uh, you know, it's really insane uh that so much of the buildable real estate in Santa Barbara and throughout Southern California and probably the planet is um dedicated to the automobile. How much parking space to be built into housing and think about what do you do you you put your car in a piece of land and you just let it sit there and you hardly use it right relative you know what it does in a 24-hour period so all this land that should be providing housing for people is there just letting your car take a nap for 23 hours a day like some well that's stupid they said we need to have more density, which is of course a four letter word in Santa Barbara. You know, they use all this weird language, decoupling. Decoupling parking from a house. And so when you have an apartment, you don't necessarily have parking with it. You can go get, that's an extra. And and so the idea is we, we have to maximize this stuff. And then of course, how do people get around? Well, I know they'll all take buses or they'll all buy their bikes. But we don't need everybody doesn't need to have two point two cars. Well, that was the argument or the debate for a while. And, and now it's gotten much more urgent just because the housing market has become that much more cruel and that much more exclusionary. And there's a desperation that's uh felt, and there's a sense of you know, is there real leadership or direction? And and so you know, I think there is shift in the tone of the debate because there's a sort of a collective perception for reasons that are good and exaggerated that there's nobody really in charge of the good ship lollipop here and nobody's really at the helm and we don't have any leadership and of course that's something people always say when we come to a election season which we are most excitedly coming to here and, and so that begets a sense of uh, greater urgency and impatience, and so it's not surprising that um, the most impatient person on this regard uh, on Tuesday night was a council member named Megan Harmon, who is frequently described as the AOC of Santa Barbara. and She's young and very, you know, talented politically and very ambitious politically, and in, in big fat hurry to get somewhere. So she was like really (laughs) peddled to the metal and leading to charge the other way um, was somebody, Kristen Stedden, who grew up here in town, um, you know, remembers what Street used to be like. She's a a geology teacher, a professor at City College and definitely sort of had one foot in the camp of Santa Barbara is the way it is. For a reason, and we need to preserve it. But also, much more aggressively of the camp that if we're gonna mess with what we have, we are gonna absolutely one thousand percent make sure that it gets to affordable housing for for people who make you know somewhere in the you know the median income, and we're not going to trust to the invisible hand of the marketplace. If we build enough housing and we set aside a a few percent for so-called affordable, that's going to be enough. So he is much more aggressive in terms of making sure that there is an affordability requirement on the units that are built. Now, the people who don't like that, there is sort of a school of thought here that, strikingly is embraced by sort of Democrats who are sort of strong proponents of Housing, housing, housing. Um, There's a trickle up and a trickle down series that they subscribe to. If you build enough sooner or later, it'll get old and then it'll get affordable and then people will move from one to the other and it'll create new housing opportunities. It'll somehow, you know, make things a little bit better. You know, we have tried that that approach um, with other incentives and it has resulted in $3,000 a month. $5,000 $5,000 a month apartments. And I don't know what planet you guys live in, but the planet I live in, that is not remotely, approximately, or anywhere near affordable.
0: Well, rejuvenating State Street sure has been a focus for the council for years, so it will be interesting to see how these proposals develop. If you'd like to read more on the Wanda Lions-Pruitt or the height versus housing city council debate, go to www.independent.com. Thank you so much, Nick Welsh, for speaking with me on your editorial perspective on these stories. Well, Molly, thank you so much. Once again, I'm Molly McEnany, host of The Indie. Make sure to tune in next week for another episode.